Welcome to Book Me, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. I'm Costas Halavrezos. Today, author and archivist Ern Dick. Imagine what it was like to be a performer in the early years of radio, and then step into the ground floor of TV, to be a stage actor in London's West End, but also show up in movies shot in Hollywood and network TV shows in Canada, sometimes all in the same year. A man named Austin Willis, born a few months before the Halifax explosion in 1917, experienced all that and more. He eventually retired to Dartmouth and died in 2004, but not before he'd sat down for a series of interviews about his extraordinary career and his adventures and misadventures in every entertainment medium of the 20th century. Archivist Ern Dick has brought those interviews to life in his book Silver Hair and Golden Voice, Austin Willis, From Halifax to Hollywood. Now, full disclosure, we shared in some of those interviews, and I've helped edit some of the transcripts. Ern Dick, welcome to Book Me. Great to be here. Austin's older brother, by about nine years, uh, J. Frank Willis, seemed to blaze a trail for him and was also a very active mentor throughout his career. How early did that pattern start? Well, it certainly starts when Austin is in his teens, and J. Frank Willis is working for the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission in the 30s in Halifax. The radio was a really new thing, and Austin was always bugging his mother to say, I wanted to be on his radio shows. Frank Willis was doing a, a poetry reading program called Harbor Lights with Marjorie Payne playing the organ. So the first job he actually had was to simulate waves with a cardboard tube they had and gunshot that they would have to just roll just the right way so that it would sound like waves crashing in between the verses that Frank Willis was reading the poetry. Now in this book, Austin is always modest. Uh, he's very quick to credit others, but he had been ambitious and driven too. When, when did he make the leap from radio and theater in Halifax to Toronto? He was actually recruited by the CBC because he'd been working at CHNS Radio in Halifax. He was recruited by the CBC to come to Toronto in the summer of 39. So he arrived just in time for the war, Second World War to start. And indeed, he, of course, given Austin, he had a story about that. He happened to be the duty announcer when someone rushed in with the announcement to um, announce the uh, war had started. And so he dutifully reads the announcement goes back to regular programming and doesn't have the foresight to think of what's up next. And it's a novelty tune, Inka Dinka Doo, <laughs> which was, of course, not a terribly appropriate thing after the beginning of the Second World War. And um, he always remembered it, and he told that story on himself. And, and he credits himself, in a way, with starting the Second World War in Canada. That, exactly. Now, Austin was a newsreader with the CBC in the early war years, but before and after he served overseas in 1944, he began one of his career streams as a host. Absolutely, and he was thrust into it hosting the Victory Bond shows, which and before America was in the, in the war, often American stars would come to Canada and promote the Victory Bond efforts. And that's where Austin met many of those, and he, he was quite in awe of them. But he was always a gracious host, but no matter what he did, he, he loved making people feel comfortable, and he really enjoyed that kind of uh, role. Matinee with Willis was a very famous program, obviously, where he would be smoking a lot of matinee cigarettes. 
He was a cross-cat hit parade. He would be introducing the hits of the week in early CBC television. And uh, I guess one of his last major roles as a host was on Canadian television, the, the show This is the Law. Could you tell us about that show for people who might not have been alive when it was on in the 1970s? Yes, Austin was um, chair of a panel on television in the 70s of uh, celebrity wits. And what they would do is they would find old laws still uh, that somewhere had existed. They would film a scenario where the lawbreaker, Paul Souls, would break the law. He'd be arrested. And then the panel would have to guess what the law was being broken. (laughs) And it was just a fun thing just to show off celebrities of the time. And Austin would help them in their um, being clever. It almost had the air of a, a kind of parlor game, except it was on national TV. Yeah. It was great fun. People remember him fondly from that. Now, whenever there's a new medium introduced, uh, a lot of stars don't make the transition. And, and, you know, we saw that in the 20th century when movies went from silent films to the talkies. Austin Willis wisely saw that with TV coming, having a golden radio voice wouldn't be quite enough. Well, you're absolutely right. In fact, he, on radio, he could so rely on a script, whether he was a news announcer or doing a lot of radio drama that he did. But that wouldn't work on television. So he um, he emerged in theater, both in um, Toronto, but then actually took a a job in London, on London stage, because he realized that the discipline of theater acting, which he loved, he loved live performance, would um, bring up his skills in terms of all the ad-libbing that, of course, early television had to require. Theater runs in Canada, even still, these days tend to be short, uh, but While in London, Austin was in a West End hit called Roar Like a Dove, and sometimes he'd be doing the theater show at night in the West End and then shooting a movie during the day with stars like Peter Sellers, the comedian. And indeed, and that wasn't supposed to happen. Roar Like a Dove was supposed to be a short-lived thing, but it went on for over a year, so he couldn't turn down this other opportunity. And he played, in both cases, he was playing an American. That was one of Austin's specialties in those days to film like an American on the British stage. And that's what he does with the comedian Peter Sellers, once that Ward plays an American um, Secretary of Defense. <laughs> oh, kind of bizarre that both the theater uh, production and the film had roar in the title. These were the roaring years for Austin. And, and, exactly. And, and he, he and Peter Sellers had a roaring good time together because Sellers, oh, yes, was, Sellers was doing the same thing. He was in a theater show and, and working film in the day as well. Right, and they were having a little difficulty keeping all those straight. So uh, one day Peter Sellers suggested to him that they hire an ambulance when their theater production closed. That, that way they could both sleep and take them out to the um, film set so they'd be ready to go the next morning. Unfortunately, they both brought a bottle of their favorite uh, drink. Scotch, I believe. Scotch, absolutely. So it, uh, they weren't actually in better shape the next morning than they might have been. Uh, but they had they then traveled together promoting the film The Most that Roared as well, and, and Austin had uh, great fun with Peter Sellers. Because of uh, his prominence as a, a theater actor, I guess he really hit the ground running when CBC Television was launched in the 1950s. And again, th- this was shot live to air. Give us an idea of the range of shows he did in that first decade of Canadian television. Well, not only was he hosting the Cross Canada Hit Parade, but then he um, was in CBC's first dramatic series called Space Command. It was supposed to be educational, but it was set in space, and Austin was the um, commander of this. And, of course, it was done um, live to a film, 
So that um, so they had a lot of misadventures in trying to simulate this. And he told many stories of that, including uh, tutoring uh, William Shatner's first uh, venture in space travel. Before Star Trek. Before Star Trek. Some of the things they were trying to do to simulate space didn't exactly fool all of the people all of the time who were watching at home. No, indeed. One of the things they used for their spacewalks was a a wooden sawhorse with wheels on it, and then you'd drape a dark blanket over it, and... um, this person would be holding a canister that would, he could push smoke out of the back. <laughs> and so he'd look like he'd be traveling through space, uh, except for one day, um, the poor fellow, in fact, it was James Doohan, Scotty, who also went on to Star Trek fame, who was um, doing space travel, and he uh, was falling off this. And so he asked um, Austin to help him get his feet better established. <laughs> so Austin crawled out onto the stage knowing the camera would be focused on the upper part of um, James Doohan. And um, lo and behold, Austin's hand was caught on camera for a few <laughs> seconds. And of course, Frank Willis spotted that. Big brother. Big brother and spotted the family crest on the bracelet that um, Austin was wearing. Now, he was in a, a phenomenal number of, of dramas and comedies and just about anything on TV in Canada in the, in the 50s and into the 60s. But at what point did he decide to take a crack at Hollywood? Well, in fact, Austin, I was mentioning the uh, London State period, and Austin had a nice long run doing film and theater in London until they had a theater production called Man and Boy that bombed um, first on, and bombed on Broadway. So at that point, Austin had to reinvent himself. At that point, he uh, decides to uh, go to Hollywood and um, see what he can get into. And he ended up having, uh, as a neighbor, a fellow named Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and Clint, uh, they had a lot of fun, and Clint put him into a few films that uh, were quickly forgotten. But I think the most famous thing he did uh, when he was in Hollywood, he was in the James Bond film Goldfinger. Right, he was in one uh, of the opening scenes, uh, playing cards with the villain himself. Exactly, and it was uh, shot at the Hotel Fontainebleau when they checked the film out they again saw his watch had made it into the uh, this cut that they wanted to show, so they actually had to reshoot that back in London. Austin acted in, in westerns and historical epics that involved chariots, but he seemed to have a, a string of bad luck with horses in the movies. <laughs> again, he loved to talk about how he loved the creatures, but they just never seemed to respect him or do what he wanted to do. It was unrequited love. And so he has a story of one at one point trying to uh, learn to ride on a farm in Toronto near Kleinberg, and he runs into Lauren Green, who is just learning to ride for his famous role in Bonanza. And Lauren Green uh, took the horses much better than Austin did. Well, when Lauren Green was shooting Bonanza, and they didn't know whether it was going to be a success yet, Austin was in a serial being shot in Italy called Barbarians. And um, Austin was driving chariots. Of course, he had to manage the horses at that point. And again, they would never do what he wanted. At one point, he's driving the chariot, and the, char- the horses decide to simply head back to the stable, and there's nothing Austin can do about it. <laughs> they had to contrive the scenes with Austin so he wasn't really going anywhere with the horses because they never worked for him the way he planned. And Austin was also uh, in another altercation with a horse when shooting a Western down in Mexico, wasn't he? 
many times. And uh, so one time he tells a story of one their feeling for him. And so one day his this um, horse wrangler brings him his horse, and he says, um, "Mr. Willis, I think this uh, horse will work very well for you." And it's Roy Rogers. None other than Roy Rogers. <laughs> But it was interesting to hear from Austin that this was uh, one of Roy Rogers' side hustles, and that was renting horses to all these people shooting westerns down in Mexico. Now, even though Austin was based in California for 14 years, he he still worked in Canada through that period. Absolutely. He was always coming back. He was in some very interesting dramas, uh, and that's when he also developed the uh, role with uh, This is the Law. He was based in Hollywood, but coming back to Toronto to shoot that, because he always was sort of known as a Canadian and could always be used in that way. The man with the the silver hair and the golden voice, and I I really should ask you, because it's kind of interesting, how he got the silver hair. Well, yes, it is. In fact, early in his late 20s, his hair goes silver because of a, a dye they use on his, for some theatrical production that he's in, and his, 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 turned initially uh, green and then went silver. And so he uh, had a lot of rolls because of that silver hair because it never reverted to its natural color again. So he ended up getting cast as an older person a lot of the time in his 20s and 30s and 40s. Yes, absolutely, and uh, had great fun with us. Well, Ern, thank you so much for telling us about uh, your experiences with Austin Willis. Really looking forward to seeing the book. My pleasure. Ern Dick is the author of Silver Hair and Golden Voice, Austin Willis, From Halifax to Hollywood. We have dozens of conversations with people who create books in Atlantic Canada, authors, illustrators, editors, and designers, everyone who brings works of research and imagination to you. They're all on bookmepodcast.ca. Tell the folks in your book club and everyone you know who's a reader. If you'd like to comment on a podcast like today's with Erin Dick, our email address is info at bookmepodcast.ca. Whenever a new interview is added, we post an alert on Instagram, at bookmepodcast. And if you're in the Lunenburg County area in Nova Scotia, a bonus, our podcasts are broadcast every evening on the nonprofit radio station CHLU, 93.7 FM, just before sign-off around 9 o'clock. Book Me is sponsored by Nimbus Publishing and Arts Nova Scotia. Our producer is Robin Grant, and we'll never divulge the color of the hair or voice of our technician, Lynn Fox. Now... Let's go read.